I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds Got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Ah, uh, yeah. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Well, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Tracy? 2017. 2017. Yes, sir. Yeah. That will be this year. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we discuss, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. So you hear his voice. No doubt. <laughs> the infamous, the pimp dog himself. Oh, no. <laughs> How many hype did you want today, Tracy? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> come on, uh, man. TV writer himself, one-hour drama writer, uh, uh, producer, Tracy Grant in the house. What's up, my man? You bring the smoke, I bring the lighter. What oh, it do? Oh, shit. The house is burning down. <laughs> nice, nice to be with you. <laughs> and y- y'all know, like, anyone who listens to The Rant Room, y'all know Hilliard has... A cadre of co-hosts who he calls on, so I don't take it lightly. Exactly. When I get the call, shout out to Lisa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you out there freaking it on other people's podcasts, mm-hmm. podcast star now. Mm-hmm. And I got my homie from way back in the house. Yeah, go ahead and introduce Yeah, what's up? Kenji Jasper, uh, writer, author, journalist, uh, staff writer on Showtime's The Shy, uh, doing a little bit of everything. And I know Lisa. I wanted to meet her. Uh, she's a longtime Facebook friend, but I guess next time. <laughs> That's no what's doubt. up. That's what's up. So we'll get we'll get into you a little bit today since we have you on the show. And we're right. also we're waiting for Chris Derrick to come in um, from the um, Derrick Brothers Writing Directing the Team. The unauthorized CBD. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you got him down. That That's shit. my dude. <laughs> Shadow Boxer Cinema. I'm loving motherfucker. <laughs> unauthorized. Exactly. So um so we got you on the show. So before we started, but let's just go ahead and get in on, on this Nick Minaj uh, Remy Ma issue. Because that shit was funny. <laughs> well, so tell the kids who don't know. Here's, set, here's it up, the thing. set it up for everybody. What you happened? know, Kenji and I are what you might classify as hip hop cats. Hip hop heads. That would, that, would, that, would, that would be that would be yeah. for lack of a better term. Uh-huh. And it's very fashionable now. But you know, yeah, y'all we, we've been hip hop heads <laughs> for a minute. So yes. we're on our way up here. Uh-huh. Kenji's telling me about this Remy Ma disc record, mm-hmm. and you know. My girl watches Love and Hip Hop at home, so I'm thinking of the Remy. He's trying to pretend like he don't watch. Look. <laughs> oh, I, I do what she says. <laughs> I, I do what she says. So, and, that's, and you're a good man. That's a smart man. That's what I would do. Too. No doubt. No She's doubt. not playing. I, I will touch on that in a second. <laughs> but he, he's telling me about this wreck. I had no idea. Yeah. And mind you, came up as a DJ, the whole thing. I'm mm-hmm. in my scripts. We have a project we're working on together, which cool, you're aware cool. of. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, cool. We got some time. We plugged the phone into the, the car system. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ruggedest disc Dude. records that have come out 
from anyone easily in the last 15 years. It's a, it's a complete destruction of Nicki Minaj's self-esteem on political, <laughs> social, personal, and financial level. She battle-rapped her. The she rec- went personal. The record is six minutes in like 27 seconds. No like, breath, baby. L- l- no l- breath. Literally, <laughs> Remy Ma, who was, who was in prison for like uh-huh. a decade, uh-huh. went through Nicki's entire career, Damn. aired her out, and said, hey, look, right. I just did this just because you, two, two, what was it? 48 hours after the mm-hmm. Gucci Mane um, record where Nicki was dissing her came out. So mm-hmm. she wasted no time. Yeah. And Do we know why Nicki went in on her at all? I, I think it, it seems to have dealt with a lot of things out in the street or mm-hmm. running into each other or what have you. Or I also, you know, if you listen to the record, I think, you know, Remy, not unlike some other female rappers, feel like Nicki kind of lifted a lot of her, you know, a lot of her stuff going in mm-hmm. and wanted to call her out. You want to pull a gun on her? Hey, mm-hmm. she'll pull a much bigger gun on you. Right. Chris Derrick from the writing directing team. The Derrick brothers just walked in. What's up, Chris? There he How is. People? How you doing? What's up, big Chris? Chris? Late. Is that right? Is that right? So we're talking about, um, we were just before you walked in, Chris, and we started the podcast. They were, they were, they were playing for me the new Nicki Minaj um, battle against um, Remy Ma. beef against well, Remy Ma. Well, but really, really it's, re- well. it's Remy Ma's assassination of, of, <laughs> of Nicki Minaj. There, there's no beef. And we had to play it for you when we got it. was like, dude, you, you got to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I haven't heard this either. I've heard of the beef, yeah. but I haven't heard the diss. Okay. <laughs> I think it just came out yesterday. Yeah. She, she took... Nas's ether, the beat from Nas's ether, and called the record Sheether. Right. It's six, it's six minutes and 27 seconds, and the cover is of a broken uh, Barbie doll, blood, a blood, broken, bloody Barbie doll. Damn. So, like, she's going all in. You know, Nicki, yeah. Nicki, Nicki made a little mention of something on that Gucci <laughs> main record. Thought she was going to get away with it. You know, oh, I'll just diss her. Nothing's yeah. going to happen. And I mean, literally, she just got her house shot up. You know, she had a gas leak. It's very Stole personal. blew up, man. Damn. Somebody should they call 911. She like that. Exactly, see, exactly. see, see, someone, the reason I wanted to hear it because somebody had said it reminded them of like a 90s diss record. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the last diss record that I remember. That reached his fever pitch was a thing with Drake, and uh, uh, that was not really even a diss. Oh, yeah, yeah, this this is not that kind of a battle. This is that like, that was a yeah. mock battle. That was yeah, that was sparring like, in the gym. Sparring, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this is more like her Remy beating Nikki with a chair out yeah. in the street for in front of everybody. Yeah. Exactly. This <laughs> schoolyard shanking. This is, this is making like Kumo D and LL Cool J look like nothing. <laughs> there, there, there are actually rumors that right now Nikki yeah. is in a hotel suite somewhere with an acupressure. <laughs> no. A shrink right. and probably you know a chiropractor right. just trying to trying to get her back together to resume what career she has left. So all of your your Twitters, your Snapchats, your Instagrams, your Reddit, all of that will be it's gonna be blown up. Blowing exactly. I mean, Facebook is a bloodbath right now. I'm, I real. can only imagine what Snapchat is like. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm well, too well, old for Snapchat. Well, speaking of everybody's um, Twitter and all that shit, let's go ahead and everybody just tell everybody. Where you are on Twitter. I need to start doing a little earlier too, so people start looking you up while you guys are in. Oh, while so they're tell, listening. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Where you at, Chris? I'm at unauthorized C B D. Yes, of course. On Twitter and on Instagram. What about you, Tracy? At the real Trey, T H E R E E L T R A Y. I'm life coaching for goofy dudes. You can tweet me. <laughs> You don't got to go through life being goofy. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll help you out. We all nerds. Yeah, that's what's up. What, what and I'm, I'm, I'm at Kenji Jasper, uh, K-E-N-J-I-J-S-P-R. So, and I'm also uh, otherplacemedia.net. So that's where you can find me. That's what's up. And I'm your boy, Hilliard Gas. You guys can find me on Twitter 
at Hilliard Guess. <laughs> like that's some shit. <laughs> or you can find, listen to the show, Screenwriters RR. So today, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get it in. All right. So okay. Okay. Um, as I mentioned before, Lisa Bullock-Kaiser, you know, she out there taking care of moms today. It's also Oscar Day. This is going to drop tomorrow. No doubt. So, um um, so let, we don't really know what the fuck we're going to talk about today, but we got my boy Kenji on today. All right. All so right. let's go ahead and talk a little bit about you. And since you're a director, we all are directors, but um, and we got my man Chris on here. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about you and what you do and um, the new documentary you guys are, di- are doing right now. Good looking. And, and, uh, and, oh, most deaf. All right. And let's, oh, did you direct? Did yeah. You? Yeah. It's my directorial debut. Okay. They have all okay. seen the trailer. Okay. Brother. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Oh, all right. Yeah. See, I, you know. All right. I'm we keep, I keep the crew tight. It's just, <laughs> it's just my circle. Well, you know, no, man. I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, a really important story because I wouldn't be here without it. Uh, mm-hmm. About about a year ago, um, Tracy calls me up, and I kind of been in a weird place. wasn't doing much, trying to sort of break back into the writing game, what mm-hmm. have you. Um, and he's like, "Well, I know you had this camera because I, I crowdfunded a camera, and there's this guy I want you to meet. You know, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a photographer. He's 40, 40 years of shooting, you know, African American celebrities, politicians, all these things. Go meet him." I was like, "Well, all right, sure." You know, so I go over and um, I meet his. His name is David Augie Ogburn. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a seventy three. Right, 73? 74. 74 now. Yeah, he switches it up all the time. Uh, but, you know, he's 74, 79, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I go to meet him. You know, he's he's a really great guy, man. Tons of images, really funny, really charismatic mm-hmm. guy. And so I start. There's all kind of celebrities. And you know, yeah, man. I mean, Nelson Mandela, and, Anita, yeah. Make, Anita Baker, Tribe mm-hmm. Called Quest, mm-hmm. Little Kim. Um, like shots you've seen. No, no. Well, some of them you have. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, which a lot of them ran in smaller magazines, okay. print publications. Mm-hmm. A lot of things people haven't seen in a while. So what we're doing is kind of reintroducing That's good, then. a really okay. great, you know, body of work. And we started with him. And then, you know, we got his friends, colleagues involved. Uh, Kathy Hughes on TV One. She's mm-hmm. part of the doc. Um, uh, Deanna Williams, who is a big radio personality in Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she was, she's a part of it. Uh, who, who else we got, Tracy? Cora Masters Barry. Cora Masters Barry, the uh, widow of, of the late Marion Barry, former, Mar- uh, former mayor of D.C., and mm-hmm. she also was the head of the Boxing Commission in D.C. for a long time. A lot of it's, it's a very D.C.-centered um, film, but it's really a cool portrait of the man, of the struggles of being an artist, and just about kind of how a lot of people look at photographers, or that stage of photography is kind of a dinosaur. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, we've all got cameras now mm-hmm. and, and everybody think they have real photographer now but, but, but the thing is is that cell phone and shit, he, he was a guy that had to print his own images he was a guy mm-hmm. that you know was out there catching everyone when they mm-hmm. were in town every show every radio station interview all mm-hmm. those kinds of things and you know he captured a lot of life so you know it's called Aggie and we're creeping very quickly towards post we have one last shoot mm-hmm. and then um, we'll be in editing and figure out where we're going to find a home for our uh, our little project, so we're excited. That's yeah. what's up. And for and you're producing. I'm right? producing. Mm-hmm. I am steering the ship, as they say. And for the writers who are listening, you know, sometimes you just need an additional project. There's mm-hmm. something else you need to do. I was inspired <laughs> or by seven or eight. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we can't all be Hilliards. <laughs> Your nine job having. <laughs> But, I got 13 job, first of all. You know, 13 job, man. Get it straight. Don't be below 10 now. But I'm talking about I was, I was inspired by Tangerine. Mm-hmm. And I say this sitting here among 
uh, three directors, I didn't have this burning desire to pick up a camera and shoot, Mm -hmm. but I understand the need to control the process and the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Agi is a friend of mine, someone we both knew. Kenji and I came up together as music journalists. Mm -hmm. He was also an author of um, two books that are in print. He has more coming. I could talk a lot about him. Very proud of him. Mm -hmm. Good. And so... Yeah, right. We both <laughs> kind of claim DC is a second home. He grew up there. Well, I, I grew up there. It's my first home. <laughs> His first. first close second, second for me. First and second. Yeah. And we, we spent a lot of time together at D, at BET, mm-hmm. you know, In when DC. the music oh, scene yes, yes, was yes. really a big deal. And so I called them, you know, got them together. I didn't have a super specific plan at that moment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've all talked a lot amongst ourselves about not waiting for anybody to open the door and not expecting people to just kind of bless you or put you on for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. I said, well, here's something that we can do on our own. Not that I dreamed about producing a documentary or producing a film. Yeah, because we're all scripted. But we got to, yeah, so we still are writing Mm -hmm. and working on scripts and projects. And Kenji got the, the shy opportunity in the midst of it. So I'm happy to see a project that's worthwhile, that everybody I think is going to respond to, mm-hmm. and Kenji will be making his directorial debut, True. and you know and, and, I'll be at the PGA but, but, knocking well, on the door. Two things I want to add: <clears throat> one, uh, Tracy showed me the the a clip for this the trailer uh, trailer uh, in December, and I, and I thought it was really really fascinating. Oh, thanks, um, man. I mean, like I started photography when I was like twelve, that's right, yeah, mm-hmm. and I. Turned on to Gordon Parks, not through Shaft, but through his photography. <laughs> really? And well, yeah, because when you're a kid, you can see the photography sure. like more than you could you see, see Shaft, yeah, right? Because mm-hmm. you know your parent, you know, parents are going to let you. Re- yeah, like, it's kind of rated R, yeah, right? Rated R type of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, so I was really excited for him. You know, when it happened, I mean, that he was doing this because mm-hmm. I think that. You know, a lot, lot like how black writers don't get the kind of publicity that they need, we don't see enough black photographers get the publicity that they need. Particularly these ones, like you said, who are older, who've done it for a long time, who right. know the print game, mm-hmm. everything like that. Because, I, I mean, ironically, at the time when you were telling me this, I had just did a show. I just That's did this right. whole process mm-hmm. of like doing a print, like a physical print, which I, told, I hadn't done that in like maybe 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a whole thing that you kind of have to like think about and mm-hmm. I'm not into all this filter crap you use on Instagram <laughs> or whatever like that that tricks you into thinking that you know that you get the image the way you want but there's so much cool stuff in there so I was mm-hmm. really excited to see that secondly as you know there is a there is a WGA award for writing documentaries oh, yeah. so make sure that you get involved in that thank you sir well wow, wow. I, I, like I said it's, it's really interesting um the process in that it's a story. When you do a doc, it's a story that kind of tells itself. And when you're a scripted writer or a creative writer, you're used to kind of, you know, controlling the narrative in a certain kind of way, seeing where it goes. This was much more about, you know, just letting him just let it all hang out, just, just spill everything he knows time and time again. You know, I think what we probably have right. three takes of every sort of story. Easily. And, you know, but what's it, the thing is, is that when you write things on a page, you're seeing it in your head, mm-hmm. you know, but when you execute it out in the world, then you see that come back. Even, you, you, even when you just do the trailer or you're just you're looking at right. the dailies of the things you shoot, it's like, wow, you know, I really am piecing together, you know, something that's mm-hmm. three-dimensional. It's not just 
another script. It's not just that kind of thing. And it was it was funny while I was in the midst of that. It was kind of like, well, all right, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to finish this. What's our next thing? You know, I had opportunity to uh, write on uh, Lena, Lena Waite's new show on mm-hmm. Showtime. Uh, Comics producing it. It's called The Shot. I can't talk too much about it beyond that. Yeah, we understand. But but going. What's up, Lena? Shout out to Lena. Yeah, what's, up, what's up, Lena? Shout out to Lena. Um, you know, more or less like seeing the process and just how much a story is not completely a writer's, you know, in the television and film medium. Yeah. It's really, I mean, the documentary is a great break from notes mm-hmm. and the whole process and everything Control. else. Because at the yeah. end of the day, it's, it's just been he and I with maybe, what, two other shooters? Very lean crew. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. no more than six people, right? Six, seven? Tops. Yeah. Jesus uh, but I'm, I'm doing the doc right now. We have like 35, 40. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's, more power to you. That, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's like the budget documentary, but the cool thing is, is that one, it doesn't look that way. Yeah, two, it looks great. And two, Trace and I have almost developed a, a telepathic kind of. That's for sure. important. I, I I hadn't seen I hadn't seen you in what three, two years, three years. Yeah, been about three years. Like three weeks ago, I saw him face to face for the first time. Wow. We've been working on this thing for like a year. Like Kenji was, was on the East Coast when we started. Yeah, okay. I, I left LA for a while, and and this this jumped off while I was there, uh, mm-hmm. and it was it's been amazing. You know? <laughs> All right, somebody ask you a question. Sure. <clears throat> Because uh, I'm working on like a story about a historical figure, and I was trying to, you know, do much research. Mm-hmm. And I, in a certain extent, I'm wondering, in terms of the documentary, you don't necessarily know what the story is going to be when you go in there, but you find it as mm-hmm. you're doing it, right. and that's the thing I think is interesting about. That's why I think I'm wondering if it's if it's. If it was your process and trying to find your story was analogous to what I went through and what anyone goes through when they're mm-hmm. writing about some figure that they find interesting or some event because they don't know the whole, like the complete angle of the story they want to yeah. take it first. What's the theme you're trying to get to? Sure. Right, and yeah. then as you're writing, researching, which is you doing the interviews, you kind of like see it right. as it's coming together. Oh, this is this, this mm-hmm. is how we're going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious to know like the process of that. I mean, like, like how do you guys, you said you just want to start talking to them. I mean, like, like there's, there was one interview where something clicked off like, oh, that's well, can way Can I say in. something about that just really sure, quick? Sure, sure. Here's the interesting thing I noticed about the trailer you guys showed us. He was being really forthcoming. Right. He was talking about his problems. He was talking about his addictions, like whatever yes. it was. And I was like, damn, if you get somebody that open. Well, I, you know, I, it was, of all people, my, my father gave me some advice. Mm-hmm. Um, he, had, he had interviewed my, uh, my great-grandfather at some point in the past. Yeah, and he was like, well, look, you know, if you're going <laughs> to do it, make sure the camera is as out of the way as possible, that the audio stays on, and you kind of see what happens. I think for me, you know, he's a guy... Um, and shout out to Yagi because you may check this out as well. Um, he lives alone. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's very much. I, I would figure probably would spends ninety percent of his time by himself. Yes. So when you know when you ask him to tell you a story, mm-hmm. you know every story is kind of the golden era of his life. Uh, he had a bout with cancer. Uh, had to have his gallbladder removed. So he has a has a bag and his mm-hmm. you know sort of his life has been very different since then. But I think giving him an opportunity to talk about what was important to him, whether mm-hmm. it was his own history, whether it was certain people who stood out, certain things that folks said, I wanted him to say the things that mattered to him. But sort of when you go back through, what you find sometimes is these little nuggets 
that have nothing to do with Correct. the direct sto biography story of mm -hmm. what an artist does, but about him as a person. You know right. what I mean? I think like he, he some line he says, well, everybody now is taking pictures of their girlfriend on Instagram mm -hmm. and half of them look like crap. You know? <laughs> exactly. But they're still doing it because yeah. everybody's doing it, yeah. you know? And right. he has a house that's full of old school cameras, old school images. He lives in 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 his work. And I guess my my focus was finding the other bits, you know, about just who he was as a person. Right. And he's a... He's a complicated guy. Yeah, nothing too ugly, nothing too real mm -hmm. in terms of what we wanted to get on camera. And to Chris's question, for me, I mean, I had a general idea of what the narrative could be. He's photographed a lot of celebrities. Mm -hmm. I am mindful of what a general audience might find appealing, respond to, and that whole thing. But I also want Hard. Kenji to have... Mm -hmm. Well, that too, but I want Kenji to have the space to be artful and creative sure. within telling a story. But somewhere where we also make a mistake sometimes, I think, mm -hmm. is when I think we're all perfectionists as writers. And rather than spend a, <laughs> an infinite amount of time, like on a line by line, chapter by chapter, try kind of outline, like my first thought was like, well, you know, let's do something. Let's get something done. It may not initially be perfect, but we're going to execute it and finish it so you don't have this paralysis trying to achieve perfection right off the bat. So trying to balance all of that, well, we were lucky that, that Kenji and Agi vibe and he was comfortable enough to really open up to us and let us, well, let me, let us take it home. Did you guys have any big... It seems like for the most part, except for the fact you're, you were in D.C. at the time, right. and you were here. So I guess a lot of it was you almost telling him what you want, and he'd go and shoot it, and you guys show. I don't know how you guys well, it was, it. Well, it, 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 it wasn't kind of like, like, I think for the most part, man, we had no real plan going mm -hmm. into it at first, which was helpful because it was like, it was kind of like a Tuesdays with Maury kind of thing. I mean, mm -hmm. I literally would right. go over there every other day or a couple of times a week, and we would never go over two hours and just get the story. Okay. And with that comes a level of trust because I always continue to show up. You know, I always continue to have more questions, mm -hmm. keeping him involved in what was important. You know, so I he think gave it, you guys a lot of access. That's what's important. Yes. To, to, to the folks around him, and the most important thing he gave us was access to his photos. You mm -hmm. know, he gave us, you know, he gave us an option on everything he has. Good. So for us, it was really, I think, kind of a digging in the crate sort of thing. Well, okay, we can't talk about every one of the thousands of images he's taken, but creating something that's a collage to showcase the mm -hmm. breadth of his work. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like like I said, I mean, candids, you know, different things like that. Okay, this I want to ask you sure, because sure. you know, I as a photographer, I always particularly people shoot um, <clears throat> film. So, do you guys like look at the contact sheets of stuff that a, f a few of them? What as he's 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 a producer with us. You know, he's been pulling. Um, pulling things that we want or other things that you think are interesting. Like what what will kind of happen for him is is that he'll let me open up his drives and just take a look at what's there. And it's insane because you can see a young Sade, you know, you can see mm -hmm. uh, a young Earth, Wind & Fire who he threw a party with in, in his apartment, in his studio apartment, like back <laughs> in 68. Wow. You know, Patti LaBelle, Janet Jackson, almost all the Jackson family in these mm -hmm. different 
stages. Michael Jackson and a couple mm-hmm. of the, like it, it, literally, if they came into DC, he has them all. Mm-hmm. So for DC, which isn't a big entertainment town, he was he was one of the biggest games in town. Mm-hmm. And so it's also about documenting the the hustle of being a freelance artist. You know, he had to. There's no health insurance. You know, there's no security. Yeah. Hey, if someone's playing at a club, you want to get paid, you got to go out and shoot that person. You may not have a flash. You know, the truth of most photographers, I can tell you, this is that you might shoot 100 images and maybe only four of them come out solid that you can use. Well, see, well, see, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, see that's the point I want to get at because there was an exhibit at the Fahey Khan Gallery that I think closed two weeks ago and it was called Contacts. And it was a lot of really, really, really famous images of big artists that we've seen. And they showed the the art the image that we know, like the you know, there's that one doors cover with Jim Morrison and his arms are stretched out and he's kinda of mm-hmm. like Christ. And it's like, okay, so you see that and that's like maybe like a it's like a it's a three by it's a three foot by three foot image, right? Mm-hmm. But next to it was the contact sheet of the other you know, like really? ten images that they shot that session that they didn't use, really? and there was one that actually there was one image in there that I thought was is a better cover, really, yeah. But because hmm. it's 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 not as somber, it's more playful, oh, and yeah. that's why I was like, and there was like the Beatles and like. It's about the mood that it's, you want, it's, right? And it's it's like, yeah, it's like the the artist trying to like you get to see them figuring out whether there's going to be the final image, and they're all marked on, mm-hmm. and it's like Brando yeah. and and all these people going back, and it's interesting to see. In a sense, like see their you, that that's the only way we can see their process. Mm. Yeah, there, there there are drawers of that stuff. A lot of it he scanned, you know. But there are drawers and folders upon folders of raw negatives, raw images that he's been through. You know, it has to kind of go back through if he wants to find certain things. But I think he has sort of a set, for lack of a better word, like platinum collection. I think of most okay. of the, most of the things he he'll think. Uh, and he had personal relationships with some of these people. So he was cool with Gerald Levert. You know, he was friends with Phyllis Hyman. You know, he was uh, friends with a number of different people. And so what you have is a, a personal relationship with the camera with some of these folks. I mean, and I guess it's not like all really, his work isn't libelwitzy. You know, it's not staged. It's not framed. Sometimes someone may be looking to the left or to the right. Yeah, know? that's so, yeah. That, you know, you might get the back of somebody's head, head streak. You know, and, and to me, that's like an interesting piece of like history to yeah. us because you see these iconic images, and then you realize that they had to figure out how to get the person to the subject to relax in a certain way to give them that, and it's cool to see. All that kind of you can tell they're massaging. The, they're talking to them. They're right. talking in between shots, and I, and and that's what I kind of love about looking at contact sheets and stuff like that because you kind of see how that is. It's interesting you said you made a point that you know DC is not the entertainment town on the West Coast. I mean mm-hmm. the East Coast like that, and um, but at the so at the same time it's a it's a stop off if you're doing a tour. Right. Well, know? it's big. Um, we knew that we would have. Because of those relationships that Kenji mentioned, we'd have great stories to go with the photos. Mm-hmm. So he's not just saying, oh, I took this person's picture. Here's Michael here. His new edition here. He's got stories for that's almost dope. all of See, the that's good just, ones. That's just that's dope. Important. I mean, like, he, like he, as, as a good example, you know, Kathy Hughes, who runs TV One, owns a lot of radio stations. Most, one of the most powerful black women in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Augie worked with her when she was, you know, a young woman in the sales department. You know, so he's got shots of her 
from that era. Mm-hmm. He's got shots of her with the first groups that she worked with. Like he has a history of maybe fifteen or twenty years of her life oh, that he just has cool, captured cool. by being friends with her. And I think right. that that's kind of what what we're going through. I mean, for for his generation, for boomers, you know, as a lot of them are aging out, you know, moving into their twilight. I think a lot of what we're doing is a piece of work that's that's kind of an ode to the era before us. You know what I mean? If if we're the hip hop era, this is like the disco era, the soul era, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. early eighties R and B, like kind of before what made us hit. And it's really great historically, but also some of the folks that we love are in there too. Yeah. I mean my favorite you know, I, my favorite shot is the one he caught a Dustin Hoffman on the street while they were shooting <laughs> uh he walked past them shooting Midnight Cowboy <laughs> and got a portrait of Dustin, you know, just chilling on the set. While Authentic, hair down to his shoulders. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing. The so whole Ratso Rizzo <laughs> no. rolling and shit. Wow. We <laughs> were dope. fortunate, but we had to recognize that, you know, this is something, again, that we could execute. And, you know, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. That was my thoughts. Let's go do it. I know Kenji has the camera. You know, you're in D.C., he's there. Mm-hmm. He had called me, Aggie, to ask for some information about something else, and it just got me thinking. It's like, this body of work and this career that you've had Yeah, nobody's documented it like this. Documentation. Right. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. on another level, pure and simple, that's my man. He's getting up there. I'm big on giving my folks mm-hmm. their flowers while they're still here. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And well, let me, let me just piggyback off of that. Speaking of flowers, so I was starting. I was telling you that I'm I'm directing this documentary right now okay. about this surf band from the '60s that opened for the Beach Boys and all these other grands. Okay, we started getting ready to shoot, and literally before we started shooting the first frame, one of the guys died. Wow, Jimmy Greenspoon from Three Dog Night, right? Crazy, and so of course it was like, well, are we going to make this movie now? Whatever, and I went, wait a minute which is something you were piggybacking off of earlier. You know, you're trying to find what the theme is and what's it all about. And when I went, ah, this is the midpoint turn. This is the big, we're about to make this album, everything's coming, then right. boom. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. Now, how are we going to make this album? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's like lots it's of like little... A, a challenge and a, a gift in yeah, a way. But it, yeah, I mean, I was trying to look at it from a positive and what can we do with this? And I was like, well, he's probably the most famous one in the band anyway. So this is like, now this is going to be his big sequence. That's right. <laughs> you know, that leads up to the fact that he passed right. away right. and how it affected the entire band. And right. will this right. album ever come? You know what I mean? And, you, and I mean, you look, like you said, you never know what the story is or the story yeah. changes. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's, you know, the last couple of years, I've watched a lot of documentaries so, so there was one year maybe three or four years ago where some Oscar do, some Oscar I documentary mm-hmm. like fascinated the hell out of me so I spent a lot of time after that like watching documentaries yeah, I'm a doctor and, and, documentary and, and either short themed. ones or mm-hmm. these longer form ones or, or, or that marathon OJ one oh, oh God. Yeah, no, that was that was that was that was a, that was a piece of there's some man. great ones man. this past year yeah, this, for sure it, it, man, yeah. that, five, that OJ yeah. thing was Man, especially the last installment. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, We can talk about that a little later today, but um, I just feel like it's to me. I think documentaries have a very uh, strange reputation because Mm -hmm. I feel maybe up until around ten years ago, 
<laughs> right. Documentaries weren't exciting for people, you know. Right. So, something happened. It, it might have been one of those Michael Moore ones or something like that. I'll tell you exactly yeah. what it is. Moment for Colin Brown, I would say. It's getting through that because they're quote unquote unscripted doesn't mean that there's not a story being told. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't that mean has that, to be weaved and woven. You know, it needs God. to be grounded. Yes. And, you know, there is a there is a narrative. Usually mm-hmm. it may not be as literal. Mm-hmm. It may be a little more subtle, but it is there. And I think over time, people have gotten more of a command of that. I, I think the other thing is, is that with Netflix, with and Amazon mm-hmm. Prime, with, you know, all these online services that make content available, mm-hmm. documentaries are a lot easier to see now than they ever were. Yeah, that's true. That's I true. Mean, yeah. I, I mean, before my, it was just HBO. That's your point. My, my or PBS or something. You know, yeah. for for doing this or to want to do it was uh, watching the art of Organ- the art of organized noise, oh, um, yeah. that was which great. was you know a great a great piece that was done by QD3, mm-hmm. and it was like wow, I'm looking at this. Not always the best shots, mm-hmm. you know. Not some huge budget, mm-hmm. you know. All right, but but they captured the heart of what was happening. And I sort of tried to go into what we were we're doing, you know, in this in this sort of way. It's sort of weird that we're almost done. It's really crazy. Well, see, but that, that's, hey, that's the thing I like about you put in work, bro. Yeah, but documentaries <laughs> I love is that the 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 there's an accepted sense of I don't need to have these really great cinematic shots. Mm-hmm. I just need to be able to you know, and I can mix format, I can mix the medium, I can put in the still frames and like and do the animation camera stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot you can do, which is interesting to help you tell your story. And hit those emotional beats that you need to hit when you're t- when you're not and it's not scripted. You know right. you can't control the moment of someone's mm-hmm. behavior. You so you so you kind of manufacture it in an interesting way. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I have been so fascinated by what people do, and I'm very fascinated about you know the thing you guys are doing. I mean, so. Yeah, I mean, well, so I, like, like, when is it done? When is the editing happening? Is editing happening now? Like, <laughs> we have a little music? bit more. Shooting. You know, we, we, have, we have we have one, possibly two more shoots in right. New York. Um, we have a great, uh, great second unit guy out there that's going to shoot those, and then we're going to post. Um, got a great editor, you know. Yes. So everything's kind of in position. Like, pretty much, we're waiting for what will probably end up being like what, like you know. 30 minutes of, of tape right mm-hmm. and that'll come in and then you know we'll we'll be we'll pick what we want to use and send it off to the right. editor but very grateful for all the support including from you all too this sure. is a yeah. sort of a premature treat for everybody mm-hmm. but we've been fortunate to have great support from our friends and colleagues and there seems to be a lot of real interest just when we talk about it so um, i don't take it for granted i'm, this, I'm very grateful so is does this plan to be? Feature, does it plan to be the feature length, or is it plan to be a short thing? I mean, oh I'm no, just, no, no, no! Like, yeah, we're, we're sort we've sort of been going back and forth about that. Probably we're aiming for sixty minutes for sixty minutes for TV. Okay. Um, you know, okay. ideally, you know, you would you know, all kinds of places. Yeah, but you, you got know, the content. We, we have one, a, we have so enough for feature it. length. Yeah, we'll see. Say cut them both. You know. <laughs> My preference yeah, is that, to that, do that, exactly that. That, 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 was what we, that was what we always said. Yeah. We said, said we're going to do two cuts, yeah. do a theatrical, we'll do one for television, and you'll see how it goes. Yeah. So that's, you know, the editing process, you know, is is the last sort of step. Mm-hmm. I, I, by summer, you know, we should be ready to roll and, you know, it should be, you yeah. know. Yeah. I'd be cataloging tunes today, but here kicking it with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good. That's it's so much stuff, man. I mean, that's the other thing that's cool. At least both of us are kind of looking at, you mm-hmm. know, footage. And we're generally we're on the same page. Yes. You know, but it's, 
having two hands in in you know a really tiny shoebox yeah. project like this. Yes, I, that's the other thing I think with docs too. Once camera equipment has become less expensive, mm-hmm. I mean you know shooting this on we shot this on a five D Mark three, mm-hmm. but at ten eighty, you mm-hmm. know, so really great quality, really rich colors. You know, our sound is cool. And it's sort of like, well, hey, we know that we'll get a chance to do some bigger, better stuff. But this is a tribute to, you know, a really great dude. You know, if imagine if it was 16 millimeter. What would be happening now? You guys would be like, well, we got 20 minutes of footage. We're getting another 20 next year. That's real. That's very real. I'm working on this one movie. I'm planning to steal a little bit of that, you know. I can. Can I bring it back to. The end of Oscar season, yeah, right? of course, of course, of course. Because this will be post Oscars. Mm-hmm. We'll all be in a La La Land haze. Mm-hmm. I strongly suspect, most, most likely. So, the cinematographer for Moonlight, his name is escaping me. He won the Spirit Award. Yes, yes. And it made me think of you all, and we all love Moonlight. I suspect, um, but he was the guy spinning the camera around for a lot of those circular shots, which I generally have mixed feelings about. Mm. Um, I think sometimes directors do more than it was required in terms of their visual expression. Mm -hmm. Could be my writer bias, but sometimes, so I'm not a big fan of that if it's not really tied to the storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think Moonlight was executed so well, um, so well done, like you all talked about last week, Mm -hmm. that takes nothing away from it but it was nice to see the cinematographer get some shine because he obviously had a lot to do with um well bringing that piece to yeah light. i mean and i care it made I think me the care more has a lot to do with a lot of movies about cinematography yeah. well, well yeah. I'll, that's know, my point now yeah. working on a film myself yeah. is giving me more of an appreciation so I'll, I'll start well to this is something that. you know because i just have spent the last four days at the at the hollywood black film festival with mm-hmm. our short checking out stuff and it's like one. I was talking with these guys yesterday. And shout out to the whole team. Yes, yeah, so the whole team know. that was there to to help us get our our film, um, Architects of Crime. Architects of Crime. Um, what was interesting, you know, a couple people had seen our movie that these other directors that we saw like we saw them four or five times, so we came mm-hmm. kind of you know like good comrades with them. Um, but but they were remarking a lot about how our film was shot and, mm-hmm. and how poorly. These other films were shot. Oh, I'm sure and, our film and, totally you know, stood out. Stood out. There. And, I know. And, for you know, because you know, he was asking us, because he was saying, why wasn't your film in the trailer for, you know, the um, trailer for, like for the whole thing? We have no say. And, <laughs> well, I said, we don't have any say. And he's like, yeah, but, but see, this is the thing that I was telling him about cinematography. <clears throat> so, cinematography is a really tricky subject to, to get. Good, and the mm-hmm. reason why it's so important, and even for what you guys are doing, is when it's bad, it takes you out. You That's know? right. Yeah, <laughs> it takes you out, sure. and when it's really good, it, it it's it's seamless, mm-hmm. and and you kind of focus more into what's happening with the story. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you'll see things that are like, "Oh shit, that was a cool shot. That was a cool mm-hmm. shot." But but that's just a shot as opposed to the whole like Correct. moment that mm-hmm. they created to get to that. I mean, I feel what you mean about the scenes in Moonlight when they circle around. I mean, and I thought in the beginning of Moonlight. When that kid, when the when the little boy is being chased mm-hmm. into that first scene into that that, that crack house, that's crack mm-hmm. house. Like I thought that was just a little too shaky. I was like, well, you, but that's my bias about I don't like shaky cam that much because it's kind of like what's interesting. I mean, like not so not interesting. What's important to me in the frame? Mm-hmm. You know, let me see that by like keeping it so I radical. agree. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, the cool thing about that is then he got to that point where now he's just going to like slow it down. Just yeah. like keep it still. Oh, he had a lot of that. great about. And yeah. then he would just go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he, yeah. it's, at some of points out to me the other day, he was like, you know, that movie's cool because there's a lot of scenes in that where it comes in and it's soft focus and it snaps into focus. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, that's just kind of how memories are. You're mm-hmm. like thinking, you're like, oh yeah, now this comes together. Which I think is interesting. I mean, I'm glad that movie won. I didn't watch the Spirit Awards yesterday or hear about it. I was, I don't know how I was doing. Oh, we're, You guys went back to the festival? Yeah, we went last night. We went to see mm-hmm. last night and we were there in the middle of the day to see um, uh, Abdul um, Malik Abbott had a film mm-hmm. in there. He wanted me to come see it. another one in there? It was called... Uh, the Curse of War, mm-hmm. I believe. It was but this PTSD thing. It was I thought it was pretty good. Is it a movie? Short, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um but it's interesting you brought that up about, about Moonlight because that to me I think is the one thing mm-hmm. about all the films, say for Arrival, mm-hmm. that are up this year for for all the awards, it's not even just those cinematography awards mm-hmm. that that had a really fascinating color palette. I'll tell you when I first became aware of it having the good fortune to work with Ernest Dickerson back in the Lincoln Heights days. He was a director by then, of course. But he had all kinds of stories about shooting for Spike. Right. And also shooting for... I believe Juice was his first um, director gig. On on one of his first TV things. And listening to Spike in interviews reference the cinematography that Ernest handled for him and Mm -hmm. how they were boys back in NYU and the whole thing. So... That was sort of my first professional awareness of it, mm-hmm. but he had nothing but stories, and they weren't in a technical sense. He wasn't talking about setting up shots and the camera angles. It was all about what do we need to do to tell the story? What do we need to do to execute this scene on the highest level? So mm-hmm. I just had an appreciation. Well, see, I, I, I think that's what a lot of people don't, uh, Ernest and Spike had a really great relationship for those first five Spike Lee joints mm-hmm. that I don't know are the same. Those films aren't the same, I think, with someone else who's working. Who, you know, if you look at the early Reginald Hudlin films, it's a little different. They don't have the same kind of like. Uh, there's a lot of bold choices they both embrace to do, particularly with color. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I mean, the guy who Spike worked with after that a, little, a lot was uh, Malik Saeed, yeah. and he's got an interesting look. But I don't think it. it I mean, and, and I like his work on Belly the most. I think he's only yeah. did a couple of movies. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he got Game is pretty good, but I think that that Spike kicked it up another level when he started working with Matt Labatique, who shoots a lot of stuff with uh, Darren Aronofsky. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Darren Aronofsky's films and you look at Spike's films, they're like so different Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And you kind of see, but there's still things that that Matt brings to it. And I think that's what's interesting to hear what, you know, like these filmmakers, when they're sitting there, the directors, they're talking with the DP and they know they got to translate everything emotionally through what that person brings, like how do we do this with the color? And they got to bring in, you know, the production designer. So what's the what's the light going to come in? Mm-hmm. So it all kind of like speaks as one thing, you know. And that's when it and that's what I think that Moonlight did a really good job. Same with uh, Bradford Young, who's dead, who's doing oh, yeah. Arrival. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious now that he's doing the, the Han Solo film. Like, what the hell is that going to look like? Because <laughs> it should be dope. Well, I I, I really dig Brad's style. I was going to give him a shout out, and if you didn't, um, you know Howard Grad uh, worked on um, Soma. You know, and mm-hmm. like I said, he's he's um, 
he's having his, his first moment, you know, right now. Yeah. But I think that it really is about the collaborative relationship you have with your director. You know, I would I would I would imagine that back in those early days, you know, I mean, Spike was the king. I mean, he was he was that crew of guys, you mm -hmm. know, who had come up in film school together, who were around each other for hour upon hour upon hour, conversation upon conversation, watching movie after movie, no different than Trace and I have or mm -hmm. what have you. You know, you know, Ernest knows what Spike wants, you know, knew what Spike and knew how to put his own touch on anything that he did. I think that's why he became a director so quickly, mm -hmm. you know, because he had a sense of yeah, his own. Well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's the one thing that a lot of people don't, you know, what, the process I have when I, when I look at filmmakers is I look at their work and I'm always looking at who's their DP. Right. And you see these guys, they work in these little spurts where they'll do five, six films with the same DP. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something, and who knows what happens. And then, it, you know, the early Oliver Stone stuff is is not the same without Robert Richardson. Mm -hmm. And they had some sort of fallen out, I think, around U-Turn and they didn't work together anymore. <laughs> oh, that, was, that, that movie was a disaster for everybody involved yeah. from what I heard. Mm -hmm. You know, and then next thing you know, um, Robert Richardson is working for uh, he picks up and does all the work for Tarantino, mm -hmm. and then he does, and he also does the work when he can get him on uh, Martin Scorsese. And Scorsese's like his last four or five films, you, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and Aviator. I think this, mm -hmm. I think they were first worked on Aviator. There's like a there's a different kind of muscle hmm. that you see that Scorsese is able to exercise because he's working with a different type of cinematographer. Mm -hmm. I mean, his early guy Michael Chapman who. Was worked on with uh, Scorsese. He got you know he did a he, he's different looks you know and and you look at um, the Godfather is not the same without Gordon Willis like all those movies mm. aren't the same you know and then the other film uh, Apocalypse <laughs> Now. By the way, listeners, you see we got a damn cinephile on here. Uh, I mean, Chris's more, more cinephile one, the, is the, so the, the funny thing is, thorough. I was about to mention Gordon Willis, so I'm glad you brought yeah, him but up. It's, so. interesting, it's, interesting because it's interesting when these when you see these people, like, they work with somebody else, and then they get a different, and their work changes in a way that is that you feel, that's when you know the cinematographer is really bringing a lot to the collaboration mm -hmm. because they're because the director's work changes in a way mm -hmm. that is um i mean so so different it's so it's in and they work in these different type of projects mm -hmm. they're not the same kind of thing so it's i i, I think that's what you got to explore you know so, I, I have to say though, i'm i'm very excited about the Han Solo thing though um and I'm well, not. Well, but, well, <laughs> well, well I just don't think we need it. I don't think we need it. No, that it. now see that's a that's different all. conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say this: maybe not for me or my generation, mm -hmm. but I think Han's a great character that yeah. wasn't really given his due in the reboot for what it was worth. I yeah, but Han was good because it was Harrison Ford. No, no, fair enough. If he ain't gonna have Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford, what the fuck are we no, watching no, him no, for? No, no, and 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 <laughs> that's and, and, the point. and well, I guess you didn't like Rogue One. Okay. And, well, I'll, I'll, and the kid they got, mm -hmm. the kid they got, like I first saw him in that Hail Caesar movie. He, uh, which is that a? I mean, he wasn't the, the the kid. There's Harrison Ford. If you look at his work pre Star Wars, mm -hmm. he doesn't have this kind of like his persona is not shining through. He's just just trying to be a working actor. Yeah, and literally like Han Solo. We saw he had a sense of humor. Is him. You yes. have to give him is his him. due 
for creating that character and bringing him to life. Because 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 if you if you look at all his work post Solo, except for Jones, because Jones is kind of like a is Jones post. Yeah, it's a modern day oh, post, Solo. Yeah, post, yeah, yeah. Uh, he never gets to he never gets to add that bit of humor and that that roguishness. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of all the movies that, that he's done. But well, there's also he no in between. He does, I think. But yeah, I mean, he I think he got better, and he probably got better projects over time. With Star Wars. There's no in between. You're either rocking with it or you're not. <laughs> yes. And there's some first generation types who don't really. So I think if you can, because The Force Awakens and Rogue One, we didn't really need those either in a way. But I think I we think needed a Han Solo they type were, character well, they in were, Rogue One. They I mean, were well done enough. Even Clone Wars, even a cartoon, I think those are good enough to let you know that there is a space for. These characters we didn't see in their formative years. Mm-hmm. So the young Han, the young Lando Calrissian, and I mean, that there I mean, is look, a, at, at at minimum, they, I will credit them for creating the space okay. in which you can tell those. Stories. I think that's a, a, a that's a good statement. I always feel like you've got way more Star Wars stuff in the universe to explore that that is completely untouched. That would be more exciting to me. The books. We're hot. Yeah. Now, here's something that's interesting to me about, and I'm very curious to see if they do this with the Han Solo. I'm very, very curious. Is that I've been listening to the Force Awakens soundtrack quite a bit. I've been writing some stuff right now, and I realized one of the reasons why I like that movie so much is only because of the score. John, <laughs> really? Because John Williams <laughs> knows how to whoop people's asses. John Williams <laughs> and. <laughs> they didn't use John Williams for the score in Rogue One. Huh. And I'm curious, is he going to do the score for Han Solo? Because if he doesn't, I guarantee you the movie's not as good as it could be. Right now. Interesting. I'll wow. say that right now. <laughs> Put down the gauntlet. Man. <laughs> it's hard to argue no, with John no, Williams. I'm telling you right now because like, I'm, I've been kind of on this kick, you know, because maybe like a month ago, two months ago, I, it was a Spotify thing about someone. Someone had a, a list about uh, cinematic scores. Just mm-hmm. playing, playing. I just put it on four hundred songs, whatever. All of a sudden, the score comes on, and I know it, mm. but I don't know what movie it is from. And I'm just like this tingle rolls through my body, and I'm like, <laughs> "Who wrote this music? Who is it? Who the hell is this?" And it's the opening to Jurassic Park, which I haven't seen since I saw the movie when it originally came the original out. One. Yeah. Okay. So it's been like 25 years since I've seen the movie or know the score, okay. really. And I'm like, this motherfucker is <laughs> <laughs> so damn good. Uh-huh. It's insane. Yeah. And then I saw, I've been listening to a lot, of, you know, I've listened to the Save Private Ryan thing a lot, which is very kind of like, it's very like, it's very narrow, but it's mm-hmm. something I'm working on. I just realized that he's one of these few guys who knows how to like do something with the music. And, and, and honestly, like movies don't work without music. Mm-mm. Like not like television, like television can go without music. Mm-hmm. I mean, music is incidental in television. And there's, there's only like, I would think in terms of scores, maybe 10 guys who are signature. You know, like like what Williams, Williams yeah. uh, Hans, Hans Zimmer, Zimmer. Uh, Danny Elfman, mm-hmm. uh, the Newmans, Randy Newman, yeah. uh, Thomas Newman. I know, and those are the folks I would think of off. Bernard Herman, yep. who did all the damn Hitchcock mm-hmm. shit. There's some women that are really some women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was curious because I'm mm-hmm. trying to think. I was trying to think of, of, of female female scorers, but it is a really important and sometimes overlooked, you know, part of the arc of of what the final product of a film is. So I, I can. I, I I can rock with you on that. I I do. I I kind of argue in that I think that there is room for a lot of story in that universe because it's so big. 
I know. And in and, and the movie, I'm, at least it, I'm curious to see how Han met Chewbacca or, you know, how... See, oh, see, okay, right. but, 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 you know what? Someone posted this on Facebook the other day, and I was lost. <laughs> There's some sort of, like, life debt that Chewie owns, that Chewie owes Han Solo. Is well, that in the book or something? Or I don't mean? know well, if that's well, well, in the book. I, I do know this, and, you know, this, this is getting really fanboy, but the Wookiees were enslaved by the Empire and kind okay. of farmed out as, you know, just cheap... You know, free pack labor. animals. They're like pack animals. Yeah, they're they're basically the slaves of of the Star Wars universe. Okay. So you know, maybe apparently some kind of way Han, you know, got Chewie. Yeah, I mean, because he can pilot. You know, they are an intelligent species. And you know, also I'm I'm want to see Young Lando Calrissian. I mean, for for me, you know, as a boy, he's the first black sci-fi character I knew about. Mm-hmm. So personally, I'd rather see a like like a straight Lando movie. Yeah. And have Han come in as like a little tertiary character, come in just briefly, touches his life, and then goes out of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would want to see. If the first one hits, maybe. You know, I, I, I think right now, just when you're in the business long enough, I mean, you just think about what's profitable or the chances folks will take. I think the all, in this kind of Disney setup, yeah. the all the all African-American or the all <laughs> colored folks Star Wars movie is a given. Yeah, not at, at, it, 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 it'll happen. No, but it'll be straight to video. Or it'll it'll happen. No, no, but see... But, I, I think it'll happen. Here's the thing. You don't need to make it... Uh, it, it doesn't need to be a Black Panther because I feel like the thing that's so fascinating about Lando is... And people, and people they, never, they never... This doesn't get remarked upon. It's not that he had the Millennium Falcon. I win that in the game. People are people right. bet. How is he running Bespin? How is a black man, but since there's no racism really in Star Wars, but how is he running Bespin? That's a fascinating story because he's a rogue. He's a criminal. He's a con man. Right. That's a story. Hmm. And there are a lot of things they have to fill in about that story in particular in the next Installment, just in that. I'm I mean, curious. Like I said, I mean the big. Well, like I said, if we're going to talk Star Wars. The big thing is, is that how did the uh, how did how did the the what's her name? I'm can't, I'm can't, I can't believe I'm blanking on it. Just won an Oscar. Uh, the sister Kenyon. Um, you know, oh. you, you guys all know Lupita. One. Lupita. Oh, Lupita. Oh, Lupita oh, okay. 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 How that character found a lightsaber, which you know should have been somewhere oh, deep down. Well. Well, I think we're gonna find that. No, no, no. I mean, of course, we have to. Yeah, we have to. Find- That's to be a story. See, and, and if if we're a group of writers sitting here, I mean, it's it's those story pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, as as kids or wherever you are, you get into a thing, a mystery is laid out for you. You know, and you never let go of it. I mean, look, David Lynch is bringing back Twin Twin Peaks after twenty something years, mm-hmm. and there are enough people who believe in that, believe in the impact that it has. That from what I, you know, the rumor is, you know, he's he shot some. 17 hour movie and it's just chopping it up in post, you know, for one or two seasons. But, well, I, we'll see. There, there, there's generational value for revisiting, you know, um, cultural icons, you know, pieces of material that define generations. And I guess because I'm, I meant of a certain age at this point, I sort of welcome that. I like the idea of maybe going back and checking out something from my youth as long as it's good. Right. You no. Know? If it's not good, well, then, you know, I mean, hey, I, I remember a lot of people were disappointed, you know, with the Phantom Menace, you know, when it came out. Like, yeah. that was like, everybody's yeah, yeah. like, oh, you know, they just jerked us off for, you know, three hours. <laughs> but, but, I, you know, if you want to talk about music, John Williams' Duel of the Fates comes out of that. That's, I think that's personally one of my favorite pieces of his. So. But again, 
because he knows what the hell he's doing. <laughs> John Williams. I would since Kenji is here, mm-hmm. and this is we're going left. I could roll with y'all on Star steer Wars. This motherfucker, steer this But and you know you set us up. You steer for all of us, which, which is appreciated. I would like Kenji to talk about his experience in the room, just as coming in as a staff writer and learning. Because I know who listens to this podcast, and they would. Well, I was going to ask you about that too. I, I, I was curious to know about like how you got that job if you, if you weren't in town or if you weren't in town at the time. Or... We know we can't talk about the show, but can you talk well, about yeah, your yeah, way sure, there? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, I've been friends for a long time with uh, a writer producer named Adam Glass. Uh, has okay. some credits in in I know film TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glass and I have been really good friends uh, since about 2000 when I adapted uh, my first book for Searchlight uh, with State Street Pictures a long time ago, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of we. Worked together on a couple of different things, tried to pitch some stuff, you know, um, didn't catch, what have you. I came out. More or less, it was kind of trial and error, but he's always sort of believed in my voice. And okay. so when he started to work with Lena, he called me and sort of said, I'm working with, you know, Lena Waite, this, you know, young writer. kind of reminds me of you, you know, you were, you know, 25 and really political and angry and that kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, really? You know, it's like, you hear that, it's like, wow, like, really? Okay, I'm, I'm curious. And I was working on uh, Augie. You know, I'd been working on Augie for a couple of months. And he just calls me up around, you know, and sort of says, well, hey, look, there's an opening. You know, there's a, sta- there's a staff writer job. I need you to send me a sample in an hour. Now, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't primarily writing TV. I was writing features. Mm-hmm. But I took, I took a script that I had written recently and reformatted it like in like two hours like all right i gotta turn <laughs> Been there. i gotta turn 92 minutes mm-hmm. into a 60 minute pilot mm-hmm. and i'm the clock is ticking so i took something that i believed in and did that and you know i, I was fortunate in that two things happened uh a friend of his who's also our showrunner uh elwood reed uh who's done a bridge cold mm-hmm. case He's had a 13, 14-year career. Brilliant author. Brilliant author as well. Uh, Decorated guy who I had met at a fight party. Um, (laughs) Strangely enough, the fight, the guy's house uh, who we all met at just passed away yesterday. Uh, And we were, we were talking, the three of us were talking about it on Friday at at the job. And it was like, wow. And all of a sudden, it's got Scott Lou, RIP Scott Lou. Um, Mm. He was suffering with ALS for a long time, but he's a really, really good guy. Uh, Point being is that, you know, I, I put in my sample and... You know, I'll, I'll tell you the story because it's kind of amazing. I had no TV credits. And, you know, so sort of some of the folks at the network were sort of like, well, why do you want this guy? You know, like he's he's just he's a novelist. Why are you fighting so hard for this? Because Elwood was like, look, you know, I want another novelist to, to come in and to be able to work on this thing because he feels like novelists have a better sense of story. And so, you know, more or less uh, the executive who was who was involved in making those decisions read my book and said, hey, I don't have any problems. Like, you know, let him get in the room. So I came into the room as, you know, sort of... How much time went by from the time you submitted? Can you say that? Three months. Maybe. Yeah, so and, I'm always trying to say it, it take and time. And it's a long three months yes. because because staff writers, and for those of you who don't know... And they're the last ones Yeah, they're, they're the last guys of staff. So they had to get the director, they had to get everyone else, mm-hmm. and then last, I had to get my deal last, mm-hmm. you know, so... And they were so worrying about... How much money they have for you? So oh might, yeah, you know, right. they oh, might say we need to really lowball. Don't you. forget, I know the story, but don't forget the stops and starts between Kenji and Adam, like years prior yeah. to this. Let me ask you because sure. I met Adam Glass probably twelve years ago because he used to hang out a lot with um, 
Anthony? Anthony, yeah. He yeah. Right, he, they yeah. right together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's because this, this other guy I know knows Anthony. They used to, well, they, they had a falling out, but that's how I met Anthony and Adam. And I always thought Adam uh, was a very savvy guy. Oh, extre- you know? extremely. And has so has it really. It's, it's just, I mean, it's, and, but, you know, you meet so many people in this game and you fall and you don't see what happens to them next to you know mm-hmm. you see them doing something so i'm excited to see that he's doing that oh he's you know? doing he's doing a lot man he he kind of went from working with anthony into the comic book world uh he wrote you know he he wrote uh the suicide squad episodes that um that feature harley quinn in the current you know in the film film incarnation um did a lot of deadpool stuff I mean, really got involved in the comic book world and ended up working on Supernatural for five years. Mm-hmm. And as big of a show as that is, opens a lot of doors in, mm-hmm. in that world. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when he was working on Corona Minds Beyond Borders, uh, this show came up. And, um, you know, more or less he decided to to work to work, to work work on the shot as well. But it's been, as a staff writer coming in, to get back to your point, mm-hmm. as a novelist, you know, I sort of went in thinking, well, what all the writers in the room do is come up with the entire, you know, story from beginning to end. Like, we're all <laughs> sitting at home. It's our homework is to come up with the whole episode. And there's like 10 of them, and that's how it works. And so, you know, when I get in, it, it really is like this kind of collective development, all these different minds, literally idea by breaking idea. Story. Yeah, breaking story. <laughs> idea by idea, mm-hmm. you know, uh, episode by episode. And the way that something goes from where the show's creator starts with it mm-hmm. and where it ends up once the shower and everyone else is involved, it's really fast paced, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, I mean, really, it's, it was like, you know, it's like being on the greatest drug ever. It's the greatest high I've ever had in my life mm-hmm. because, you know, you're getting paid to, in some ways, rearrange furniture inside of, you know, someone else's structure. Mm-hmm. But in another way, we all are in there. It's a confessional, you know, dropping our own personal stories and, you know, weaving that into into a voice that supports, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, kind of lines up with where Lena is. True. And so and it's shout out, shout out to Lena on this. I haven't read, I haven't read the script, but I heard the script is amazing. So and we got you know some really great actors, man, and you know, really really great storyline. I mean, it's it's super hush hush. So I can mm-hmm. I I, but but I'll I'll say this. I think that uh, fans and viewers are in for something really different and really mm-hmm. interesting uh, mm-hmm. when it comes out. Is it Clark Johnson doing the? the he did. did pilot? He did one of the pilots, uh, but um, he's not. He's not working on the series. I don't think. Uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not choosing the director, but I know that uh, Rick Famuyiwa is directing the actual pilot. So uh, oh, okay, dope the wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's working on it. He's supposed to do Flash, and then he backed out for some reason. Really? Who can say? Yeah. Um, there was a disagreement somewhere. I know. Just, I mean, I mean, look, 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 but like, but like. I look at it this way because it's the thing that, that, that we're going through with mm-hmm. jazz and our thing. It's mm-hmm. like, um, you know, like you don't know. It's interesting working with someone like that way because this. We're, my brother and I are doing a project. We're directing something, and it's like the first time where these other writers were like, "We want you to come do our thing, and mm-hmm. we don't want you to like <laughs> change <laughs> anything. Do, don't change anything. Right. We're good. Just come in and be the director." And it's an interesting process because, particularly guys who write, mm-hmm. it's like I see problems. Mm-hmm. Can we like? Can you make this adjustment? Right. And a lot of it is not necessarily even like writing problems, but it's like I got to direct this and I got to make these actors do something. So mm-hmm. I need something on the page that lets me tell them what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's just like, you know, 
I think it only just comes from doing that from 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 going from the concept to to set and making acting right. and seeing oh shit that worked when we said it mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. and in the fucking rehearsal <laughs> but it doesn't work when the lights are in front of someone yeah. and I'm looking at it through the camera um, but that's interesting to know that the process that you work for. I mean, I, I think there's too much mystery about what goes on right. in the writer's well, well, room. And, and, and well, you know, because no, people are like, what the hell happens there? But, but see, that's the thing. There's no one formula. You know, there, no. every room is different. Room. You know, every story is different. The permutations of, you know, executives, development that's involved, it's all different, you know, and it's this big pot of gumbo that I think, you know, coming into it, this being my first time out. How many, how many meetings did you go on in order to, because you clearly had to meet with me, with Lena and the showrunner and all that. Did you go through all that? Um, I, I I dealt with I dealt with the showrunners. Okay. Um, you know, more or less, I think the way it went, and you know, it's just among the top folks in command, mm-hmm. everyone sort of had one or two folks that they wanted in there, and so I I ended up, you know, sort of Adam brought me in, mm-hmm. and you know, um, Elwood made sure made sure that you know I stayed in, and so cool. I had. I luckily had two guys, you know, that, that believed in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But, but, to, but just to say this, and it's very fresh. I haven't even gotten to a production part. You know, I've never, mm-hmm. you know, set and the change that you have and those yeah, kind yeah. of things. Really, right now, you guys still in the room? You haven't yeah, we started. Still, we're still in the room. Right. We're still in the room. So. so, I'm just curious about this show. I mean, True. it's showtime, right? Right. So, you guys are gonna have the whole the whole season written before you even go to the, start shooting, right? Or maybe six episodes in, or something like that. Five or six, something like that. Okay, you know, something like that. It's at least four. Yeah. I'm positive about that. Yeah, for sure. Well, the well, moral I, of the I, story. I, I mean, to me, I think this. To me, it's kind of the fascinating model about the cable series mm-hmm. is that uh, you, you, you know, you get to write so much of the story as you want to tell for that season before you even go shoot it. I think it's fascinating because. You can really hone in on some things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain shows I know, like the Nick. Mm-hmm. You know, the Nick man. They, you know, like like Soderbergh did every episode, directed it. So he was like, "I'm not gonna wait for you to write <laughs> shit. I love the pilot. Mm-hmm. Write the other nine, right. and then I'll do this like a ten hour movie, and we'll just go." And I was, you know, and, and he's he, sitting on the camera too, ain't that a bit? Yeah, and he's editing everything. <laughs> like his whole process is, I mean, his, I mean, if there's anyone who's a filmmaker mm-hmm. and wants to be, oh, I want to do all the shit and blah blah blah. <laughs> you, 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 guess what? You can because mm-hmm. Steven Soderbergh, if you're that good, Steven Soderbergh, he, yeah. Yeah, if, if he's the DP if, and the editor. But, and, but if you're Steven Soderbergh, yeah, you know but, what I mean? no. But the thing is, yeah. is that it took him like 15 years before he started doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until it wasn't until he did traffic that yeah. he that was the first time he DP'd something. Mm-hmm. But he had a prop he had a problem too. I remember on the director's commentary, he had a problem because in terms of credit or the the, the cinematographer's guild was pissed. It's not his name. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, his yeah, dad's yeah, name. It's yeah. like, oh, really? like uh, Peter Andrews mm-hmm. is the cinematographer, and that's his because dad's you, name. You can't have your name as both director and DP oh, on yeah. one. Well, there's some people who can because 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 John Badham does that, but I think he's one of the only guys. But you're right, there's a and Robert Rodriguez did it. Here and there, yeah. But Rodriguez is not in the directors. I think that's why. I think that's why he. Yeah, there's he jumped Tarantino out. Tarantino, a lot of those dudes, they don't. Right. They don't play. And then, that. but but then the woman Anne Bernard on mm-hmm. Soderbergh's films, that's his mom's name, and that's him editing that shit. <laughs> he wanted to work with this guy Stephen Mirioni, who cut like the Ocean's films, and he couldn't get him for yeah. the third one. He was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> do it." You know. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that I bring that up because. 
what's fascinating about certain kind of things like that, I mean, they did this on the Nick, and they probably don't do this on a lot of shit, is if you've seen this show, you know, it's all these medical procedures and shit like that. I mean, they mm-hmm. shot all that shit like in a week for every episode. Hardcore. They oh, went hard. Yeah. And, you know, they did it like a movie, and I was yeah. like, you know what? That's the most gruesome shit in that show, all the, all the hospital shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was an interesting podcast about the writers were talking about, and they mm-hmm. brought in the prosthetics guy about how how that was a uh, there was like a gore fest for all of them. So I'm <laughs> curious to see what, what what your experience is once you go into production and see because you, you know yeah, yeah yeah do the do the staff writers you guys get the producer episodes um, so, you know there's a possibility that some of us may okay. and you know like that's. I, you know, like I said, I'm the bottom guy. So, you know, any information that you want to like. Well, but, I don't think you usually say I want to. It's just well, usually well, they, well, I, I would, the showrunner usually has, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever the rule is. Or like on our show, the staff writer produces or whatever the fuck. I'll you know. say that, that Elwood, Elwood is really working hard to make sure that we are all writers in the room get the best out of the experience, yeah. you know, and develop as much as we can individually. It benefits you yeah. the best, you know. And, so. you know, as we move on to other things, because it, it's, it's a very unique room. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost... Outside of the showrunners, it's all African American. Um, you know, three three women, three three men. You know, mm-hmm. so we have from a variety of different places from from the continent, from Africa, uh, east, west, south, a little bit of everybody, and maybe ranging from you know twenty eight mm-hmm. to you know forty five, fifty. So you have a okay. lot of different experience in there. So going into the show, there are a lot of different characters of a lot of ages. So it works like. We're really, really trying to create a world. I just keep doing your work. You know, mm-hmm. that's the moral of the story. Um, Denzel's uh, Image Award speech this year, if you haven't seen it, it's online all over. I'm sure you should. He talks about like, keep working, don't give up. Mm-hmm. It is work. If well, it were see, easy, a lot see, more people see, would be doing it. Well, That's yeah, my message to I agree with today. you. And, I'm, and I'm talking to myself as well. <laughs> well, I think, you <laughs> know Because my dude got up in there, so I w- obviously I'm inspired by that. Well, I want to read one of your novels. But, but you mentioned your name before, and I was like, why do I know that name? I, don't, I can't remember it. But when you said you worked at State Street... I think that's why I've heard your name because unless you saw me on BET back in the day on Teen Summit, like no, <laughs> no, because uh, um, what's the woman's name? Used to run Poppy, Poppy oh, Hanks. Poppy Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. See, she might have missing. She might have missing your name to us way back in like two thousand or Man. something. No, like that's, that. that's crazy. So yeah, that's, that's that, we're, we're I don't know because you mentioned Kenji, but I didn't know your last name. And then when I saw the the, the clip, mm-hmm. I was like. Anybody. Small world mm-hmm. now, but back to your point about the work. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people don't know how hard it is, don't realize how hard it is. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that we were talking about a little bit last week when we did the, the Oscars thing about the scripts, and we didn't get really into like technique on the page. Yeah, and no. it's one of the things that I um, actually enjoy the most about writing. Uh, about reading. did you finally watch Lion or you still just did you read because he read the script and was like dude it's a page turner like I, I can't even turn it I did listen and, to and, last and, week and, and then the, the the wackest thing the mm. wackest thing is I've started reading these Hollywood Reporter like blind Oscar <laughs> ballot motherfuckers and shit mm-hmm. talking about the Lion like the second half is like a different movie at slogs and I was like <laughs> damn so I haven't had the gumption to get up and read it. But I'm doing my old fucking cinema rewatch series the last two weeks, so I haven't had a time to mm. watch anything. What are you rewatching? Uh 
I mean, he does it right before the Oscars. He did it. Well, <laughs> I watched the master, the um, oh, the, the Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, Joaquin thing? Phoenix okay. thing. Mm-hmm. I watched the Battle of Algiers. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, I watched this movie called uh, Le Samurai, this, this, this Jean Pierre Melville film from, this, from the late 60s, French okay. film, and then uh, Social Network. Um, mm. Just, I'm watching some more, but sometimes, you know, something clicks in my head. I was like, I need to see this. Yeah, this see this, and it's all movies I've seen before. Uh, oh, and then we watched the Third Man. Uh, oh, right. uh, one of my was, dad's favorites, which was <clears throat> kind of research too. For let me, me ask you guys a question, slightly off, just because we're talking about you talking about research and just like watching things, or whatever. So, you guys know I just wrote the Black Wall Street movie. So, and the next movie they hired me to write is a soldier PTSD movie, okay. right? So it was a really interesting thing where I would be in here when I was writing the, the 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 movie. I'd be sitting in here working my butt off, ten o'clock at night, whatever the fuck. I come home and I'd be just mentally drained from studying lynchings and you know all mm. that shit. And I come home and I'd be just gone. So I turn mm. on fucking Project Runaway or whatever the fuck, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm studying all this soldier PTSD stuff and it's twice as worse. Oh, fuck yeah. Because here's what I realized. Just interesting, guys. I want to ask you guys' opinions on Sure. Here's what I realized is when I was studying about lynchings and the Klan and all that shit, it was different for me because I'm a little, it's 100 years ago. Mm. There's nobody I'm interviewing, you know, who's alive. Right. And even the few documentaries they had on people, you know, most of them are gone, you know. And so I'm disassociated from it. And it's just images to me. Right. You know, I mean, you feel something, of course, and whenever you watch anything, you know, death or whatever. It's, it's also hard to fathom lynching now. Yes. Maybe that's part it, of it. If, but, you, if, if you don't have a perspective on what things were like, I, I remember just being fortunate, fortunate to have had this experience. Uh, my grandmother once, once a year went down. She's from uh, rural Virginia, outside mm-hmm. of Richmond, maybe like two hours. So in part of the world, D'Angelo, the singers from Pharrell, mm-hmm. those folks. And, you know, she was... She and two of her cousins, older cousins, are uh, very infirm. You know, I think at that point they were even on their way out. And I was a boy at the time. Maybe mm-hmm. I was six or seven or eight. Mm-hmm. You know, they were talking about how, you know, people would disappear, you know, or talking about how, you know, a black man says something, you know, to a white man mm-hmm. and is gunned down, you know, oh, yeah. in the middle of the town for everyone to see it. Mm-hmm. And hearing those things, being so young, it, I had that personal connection to it. Yeah. Um, and am able to understand even in some ways how it connects to now. I mean, if if you look at politically mm-hmm. what's happened in the last six months, you know, and kind of the sort of Empire Strikes Back moment we're living <laughs> in, you know, currently, if or or just description of a fool or whichever way you want to see it, folks aren't as bold. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we got remote controls and you know flat screens now, mm-hmm. but the mentality is still there. You know, I just think that it's it's camouflage and there's a lot of subterfuge and a lot of static that gets in the way of you really seeing it. Mm-hmm. But the all right made it really clear. They are disenfranchised, angry, mostly white men, you know, who felt like they had their nuts cut off by the fact that there was a biracial president in office for eight years that didn't fuck up and, you know, didn't get caught up in any scandals. Mm-hmm. And what they can't stand for following that is a woman. You know, being their next president, so much so that they will do anything and everything to make examples. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, and, and that's kind of where you are. Yeah, but I was just tripping on how 
I just wrote this movie about, you know, lynchings and all other shit, which I thought was going to just destroy, you know, who I am. And now I'm writing something about PTSD and soldiers. So here's what I realized. They're interviewing somebody, right? Like I'm watching all these documentaries, right? Mm. Just to get my research in. They'll be interviewing a soldier and he'll be talking about like, oh, you know, I was in Iraq or, you know, Afghanistan, whatever it is, and Mm. came back and I have nightmares or whatever the fuck. And then they'll show you shots of somebody in the pit, you know what I mean, next to somebody like what he just said, as if it was that person. So somehow it's like, much oh, more it's harder ha- oh, for the me. type of reenactment. Yeah, yeah it's much oh, more see, harder for me to take. Well, you are connected to the emotional core of all of your characters, mm-hmm. even if you don't have all of the story details worked out sure. yet. You always keep that connection, mm-hmm. so everything that you're seeing is going to resonate in a way that's different, and you're giving yourself the ability to choose the best from that. And so you'll have the soldier's experience, the source of the PTSD and Mm -hmm. the the symptoms and what they're going through. But you're also going to have the emotional connection to the person. You take those two and then you combine that to get the results of the soldier's life now that he has this thing that he's dealing Mm -hmm. with. So you're just connected and, you know, it's going to continue to be. Taxing. It's affecting me. Like it's okay, a weird so, yeah, thing. I'm, I'm it's going to come through in the work. See, know. this is so I want to ask you because you made yeah. this point about the interviews of then of the lynchings and mm-hmm. even when you read, hear about people tell stories about Jim Crow compared to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. These modern documentaries, I mean, like the filmmaking techniques, I'm wondering like how, I mean, that's obviously what's affecting you is that, is that, is that they're trying to do these reenactments and you're trying to, they're trying to like. Well, they're just showing you they're like showing you still the, images it's, it's of, happened, but it's like. Was real faces that are just you know, like destroyed and blew so, up. Over the, I mean, cause you know to me, it's, it's, I mean, cause, it's, I mean, like I'm wondering this too. It's like we've been at war for what 15 years now. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a, it's a permeation in our life. Mm-hmm. It's happening constantly, and we mm-hmm. all. I mean, I don't know any so. Ah, oh, it's not true. I know two soldiers, but they were in the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. not in this. Last 13, 14 year kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, do you know, like, are we more in tune to what's going on because of the way that that war is being covered and that kind of thing? Because what you're saying, you're seeing these photographs of specifically the head blown off. Mm-hmm. I mean, did they. But I was watching photographs of lynchings and it wasn't affecting me the same well, way. I think, it's, I think it, it's, it's more current and I think it doesn't have a color. You know, I think mm-hmm. that, that for, the, for, for the number of folks. That joined the military, I mean, God knows we all know someone who did it, you know, for to pay for college, yeah. to take care of the kid, you mm-hmm. know, you know, whatever it is, the fact that you can go over there to serve your country and come back permanently fucked up. Yeah. And that really there's only so much service your country is gonna do for sure, you sure, once sure. you come back in that way. That can be really depressing, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see it over and over again, mm-hmm. what's to say that that couldn't have been you? You know, what's to say that in, under the right set of circumstances, whether you know you went to school or not, what have you, that you could end up this broken person. I think for you know for folks my age, I mean, we had plenty of Vietnam vets who came back, mm-hmm. you know, strung out, banged out, screwed up. Mm-hmm. But I think with this conflict, you know, like you were saying, because it's just going on for so long, turning out more and more of these people, and, and it's it's the new Vietnam. You know, mm-hmm. it's the new Vietnam in that you know you have an insurgency that is trying to establish itself where it is. 
You got regular guys going over there mm-hmm. just trying to take care of their girl, their kid, what have you, and they come back never the same. I think that's what would sit yeah. with me. Yeah. Lynchings, you know, if you have any understanding of a history of race in this country, you know, that's it becomes a given, mm-hmm. you know, but it's kind of like that army be all you can be, mm-hmm. you know, armed forces, you know, spill that we all see as boys. Like propaganda right. But, but what I mean is we all dive into it and what they never tell you. It's never said, it's never talked about until very recently Mm -hmm. that, hey, look, we're going to give you a gun and send you over there to do what you're ordered to do. We're not guaranteeing you're going to come back in one piece one way or the other. That's the risk you take. Well, see, you know, the interesting thing, too, is that World War II and Korean War vets suffered the same thing, but they didn't talk about About it. it. Mm-hmm. He really pressed it. It wasn't diagnosed. Yeah, I just learned two years ago that my dad has PTSD. Yeah. Like he didn't talk about it. And mm-hmm. it's one yeah. of these things where you say to yourself, it's because of your point. We don't know what the, the cost of war is, the mm-hmm. damage of war is, and how it affects people and when they get back. And it's kind of like, I'm just wondering if, like, what our society. You know this whole buttoned-up era that everyone talks about the '50s that that Trump wants to he wants to bring back and shit like an mm-hmm. asshole. Um, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, is the '50s like really a partially the response of that kind of buttoned-upness because of all those those those, those veterans post World War II? Too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, but but but. We don't make that correlation because we look at it as a different kind of like yeah. I mean, no. Middle class. I, I was just. I, I mean, we were just. I was watching. Speaking of documentaries, I'm. I just watched that Back to the Future documentary on. You know, I don't know if you saw it on Netflix, and it's about all like the fanboys and stuff. Oh. Who all? Oh, I haven't seen boys. it, but I know that. It's I know kind of yeah. But of course, they interviewed all the main people. Are like, if you go back, what time would you go back? And they're all excited. Oh, I would go back to this year or whatever. And I'm going. They didn't interview no brothers. Who said they would go back to anything? Well, see, well, yeah, you know, it's because that's the whole thing. I, I you know, like, like white men can go back to any time and be straight. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's always a, better for us to look forward. Well, well, well that's a hilarious. I mean, that, that series on NBC, Timeless. You know, yeah, you sort of yeah. make this yeah, sort of a, a running weekly joke about that. You know, it's, uh, that ain't no joke. Nah, <laughs> man. I was like, man, that dude's an idiot. You know, and that's that's the reason why I didn't watch that show because they. uh in the pilot, it's like the military forces a black guy to go. I was like, no. <laughs> they, guess what? <laughs> it, it, unless you put me in at gunpoint, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. I'm not going back mm-hmm. to 1936 mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. Black to stop a dent. No. I'm with no. you. But I think no. <laughs> we didn't your, your didn't main character <laughs> will reveal himself as you continue to do that. Yeah. And is he that? Well, it's, it's a, the guy who wrote it. I mean, he's, he's you know, I'm coming and doing a page one again okay. on another script. Okay. So, so well, does he strike you more as someone who took the best economic option to join the military? Or do you have very strong patriotic feelings? Yeah, he's much more him feel patriotic like he, from the South, you okay. know. Okay. Well, that, that's going to factor in, yeah. you know, before and after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the PS PTSD. Cool, uh, it's real. All right. Well, thank y'all. Good shit. Good episode, y'all. Thank you. All right. Thank you for the <laughs> invite, of, as always. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So where you at, Chris? I'm at shadowboxercinema.net dot mm-hmm. and at unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Cool, Tracy. Um. One thing I know we're wrapping up. 
I got engaged you this did? week. Oh, shit, dude. Stacey be home that's soon. My, that's yeah. my girl right there. I love yeah. Stacey. No, nah, no doubt. At The Real Trey, T H E R E E L T R A Y. Goofy dudes, I'm telling you, I can help you. <laughs> get my life coach on. And all the listeners, I get tweeted every time I'm on. So it's all love. That's Shout out to y'all. At Kenji Jasper on Twitter, Kenji Jasper on Instagram, Kenji Jasper on Facebook, otherplacemedia.net. That's what's up. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook. Um, and also, please go on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Shit like that. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll have Lisa back next week. And we'll go in on some pre-Oscar shit and a whole bunch of stuff like that. Post-Oscar shit. You mean. Yeah, post-Oscar shit. Get well soon, Lisa's mama. Yes, of course. <laughs> mama Lisa. <laughs> so everybody joining in with us for 2017. You guys know how we're doing on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? 2017. 2017. Peace, y'all. Mama, say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Road. So you wanna be a rider? Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they used to pull a kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.